I want to start this morning with a little series of lessons talking about different aspects of the Lord's Church. And it's something that you may hear some things not quite the way that you've heard them before. Things like, how do you answer when somebody says, you know, do you guys think you're the only ones going to heaven? People calling us a cult, those sorts of things. And we're going to discuss a, a number of those different topics. The title this morning is Faithful Churches of Christ are completely unique in today's religious landscape. You know, you can go into almost any town. You can see any number of churches, doctrines. People tell you all kinds of different things, but churches of Christ are unique. And one reason why churches of Christ are unique. It's not like a spiritual smorgasbord religion, even though some people would like to think so today. One reason why we are unique is because we fully believe and we totally accept that the Bible is the complete, inerrant, and divinely inspired, absolute truth of Almighty God. We believe and we accept that the Bible's every word comes straight from the heart, the mind, and soul of our almighty God and creator. And because we believe that, we believe that the word of God is not to be tampered with, it is not to be trifled with, nor is it to be edited or added to by anyone at any time under any circumstances. One reason we are unique is because that we believe the Bible is exactly what it claims to be within its sacred pages. We believe and accept, we trust and obey, and we live by faith entrusting our souls to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We believe that he was. We live our lives that way. And one of the statements that Jesus made in the very first recorded sermon of his that we have a record of in the Gospel accounts is the fact that he said that we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We believe and accept and trust and obey the divinely inspired words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where the Apostle said all scripture, just like Jesus said every word, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Your version may say God breathed. We absolutely believe that. We give our lives and our souls and our trust to the fact that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We believe that it is profitable for doctrine, that is teaching, for reproof, that is to correct situations, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. King James Version says perfect, meaning complete and total. If you want to know what it will take to give you the ability on Judgment Day to stand perfect before God. It is the Word of God. 
It will make the man of God perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we in the churches of Christ absolutely believe that. We believe and accept and trust and obey David's words from Psalm 119, verse 89, that the word of God is absolutely unchanging. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> we believe, we understand, we know, we trust, and we entrust our souls to the fact that the word of God is forever unchanging and that it is unalterably etched in the heavens for eternity. David said, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Man cannot tamper with it. What God said, God meant. We absolutely take God at his word. You know, there's a lot of churches today that are tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. After Bible class this morning, I was standing up back and a brother came along and talked about one particular man-made church that he knew of, who before they changed their doctrine, they sent out a questionnaire to the congregation, how many would be okay with this? Or how many, what, what, what do you think about this situation? And that's how they determine doctrine in that church. What a terrible thing to let fallible men determine how they're gonna worship God. We in the churches of Christ are unique in today's religious landscape because we believe the words of the divinely inspired Apostle Peter when he said that God's divine power has given. Notice that was past tense in the first century. His divine power has given. That was nearly 2,000 years ago. If God's divine power has given to us everything we need according to the knowledge of him in the Bible, why do we need what all of these people have come up with since that contradicts that? Because they already had that. His divine power has given to us, Peter said, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. In the first century, God had given all things that we needed, every last one of them, that those people needed. And what saved them in the first century will save us today. We don't need some new doctrine. It was thorough then. It's, did the, did, were people saved in the first century? Sure they were. Thousands of them in the book of Acts. We in the Church of the Christ believe the same exact thing saved them will save us today because God's word has not changed. And so we don't mess with it, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to start preaching in a minute. We're also unique because, again, as the Apostle Peter said, we know first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Nothing in the Bible was come up with, was originating in the mind of men. Men didn't just come up with it. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man. Never, there is not one word written by Paul or Jeremiah or Isaiah or anybody else that was their idea. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. That same word, moved, could be more accurately translated, driven. It is the same word that is used in Acts 27 of that ship that was driven before those terrible, terrible winds, that ship that was wrecked with Paul on it, how the ship was driven. It's the same word. Men spoke, holy men of God spoke as they were driven by the Holy Spirit. 
we believe and accept and trust and obey and are therefore unique in today's religious world. The words of the divinely inspired Apostle John when he said in Revelation 22, 18, and 19, if anyone, doesn't matter how many letters they got after their name, how many books they've written, how much education they've got, John said, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the, the book of this prophecy, God shall, notice it doesn't say might, shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. This is not a new message. We could say, well, that only applies, you know, John was talking about what was written in the book of Revelation. Maybe he was. But this message is throughout the scriptures. Do you recall how God told both Moses and Joshua more than once that his word was not to be added to, taken from, nor turned from to the left or the right? He told that to more than Moses and Joshua alone. This is from the beginning to the end. We in the churches of Christ are unique in today's religious climate because we believe the words of Isaiah 40 in verse 8, where it says the grass, grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And this is what we need to understand as we consider that verse. This is springboard to the rest of the sermon. It is that unchanging word the word of God that is forever firmly fixed in the heavens, as we've already talked about. It is that word that stands forever. It is that unchanging word which serves as the unchanging foundation for the unchanging church of Christ, which we see in the scriptures centuries, centuries, before the first man-made denomination ever came into existence. One more time, it is that unchanging word which serves as the unchanging foundation for the unchanging church of Christ, which is the only church that we see in the scriptures. And it was hundreds of years before the first man-made departure denomination ever, ever came into existence. You know, Ever since Martin Luther began what we refer to as the Protestant Reformation, where he sought to protest Catholicism and reform the Catholic Church in November of 1517, ever since then, seems like for the past 502 years, as if every decade since then, it seems as if has seen the formation of countless new man-made religious organizations, man-made religious groups. Everybody is always looking for something new, something different, something fresher, something from a different angle, something with a different doctrine, something to grab people's attention. People are always looking for something new. Just like the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 and verse 21, always just looking for, for some new slant, some new style of religion, some new style or implementation of worship. But brethren, faithful churches of Christ are unique in today's religious landscape 
because we don't want to come up with something new to attract people. We believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth just as God said he would. And in the days of the Roman Empire, just like it was promised in Daniel chapter 2, the God of heaven set up a kingdom, a church, a group that he would reign over as king. And that Jesus Christ was smart enough to set up his church exactly the way God wanted it. We believe that, don't we? So why would we change that? Jesus Christ himself accomplished. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. He accomplished everything he came to accomplish. One of the things he came to accomplish was to purchase for himself a people zealous for good works, Titus 2, 11 through 14. One of the reasons that he came was to provide the new covenant of forgiveness. As he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter opened up the church, when he preached that first gospel sermon, the church in the first century was exactly what Jesus wanted it to be. It was exactly what God wanted it to be. You think God left something out? You think God forgot something? No, God fixed the church. He established it. It was fixed exactly as he wanted it. We believe that. We believe that the Lord's church is as old as the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. We believe that the church of Christ, the plan for which preceded creation, according to Ephesians 3, 8 through 12, that the church he established through his hand-picked apostles less than two months after his death, burial, and resurrection, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, is the church the way Jesus Christ wanted it to be. Period. We are unique in the religious world for trusting the scriptures that far. We believe the Church of Christ is the church that those apostles worked and worshipped in in the first century, hundreds of years before the birth of Catholicism, and nearly 1,500 years before the birth of any modern-day, man-made, Protestant religious denomination. Faithful churches of Christ are completely unique in today's religious landscape because we trust and obey and teach and live that the Bible is the exact blueprint, that it is the exact blueprint and foundation or pattern of sound words, 2 Timothy 1.13, which congregations of Christ's church are to be built upon in any and every generation until he comes to take us home. We believe absolutely that because that's what the Bible says. We believe and we trust, we know and we obey that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of his church. It tells us that in the scriptures, in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And we believe and we trust and we accept and we obey that Jesus Christ 
And he alone, nobody else, just Jesus, has all preeminence. You know why we believe that? Because that's exactly what the Bible says in Colossians 1 and verse 18. I'm one behind, sorry. There we go. That'll teach me not to pay attention, won't it? Jesus Christ has the preeminence because that's exactly what the Bible says. Now I want you to think about this. And this isn't a reflection on anybody else. This isn't a reflection on anybody else whatsoever. It's simply telling us what the Bible says and thinking about it. This is all about Jesus. He has the preeminence. Considering that, I want you to consider this. Turn to me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Go ahead and turn there. Jesus Christ has all preeminence because of what he did for us. What he did in accomplishing the plan of God that was put in place before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of the God, who was the Son of God, who was perfect and holy and paid for our sins, purchased the church. <coughs> He has all preeminence. You know what preeminence has to do with? It means he's the top. He is priority one. He is the one that deserves the recognition, the reverence. He is the one that deserves to be glorified. He is the one that we recognize as the owner of the church. He is to have the preeminence. And so, as we look at Acts 4 and verse 12, look what it says. Key, 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 key verse. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name, none, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you are part of that blood-washed group, if you are part of that saved group, by the way, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out. If you are part of that called out and saved group who have been washed in the blood, who else's name would you want to carry? There's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Who deserves the credit and the glory and the honor for the church? Who deserves the one to be recognized for your salvation? Jesus Christ and him alone, right? So why, why on earth? Why would you want to be called by any other name other than the name of Christ? If I go out and establish my own church, why would you want to be called the church of Doug? The Douglican church. And you can just sit there and giggle all you want, but how many people are in churches that wear man-made names and do exactly the same thing? Are they not all over? Why? There's no salvation in anybody else. Why would I want to be called a Douglican or, or, or a Lutheran? There's a name for you. Or why would I want to be, call myself after a, a method? And, and again, I'm not down on anybody, brethren. I'm just trying to tell you the biblical truth. Why would you want to be called by any other name other than the one? where salvation is found. And so, 
We don't call ourselves the group that belongs to Doug. We don't call ourselves the Douglican Church. We don't call ourselves the Lutheran Church. We don't call ourselves the Baptist Church or the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church. I want to, you know, I want to be all inclusive here. What is the name we are to reverence and glorify? Well, there's only one. One name under heaven in which salvation is found, and that's Jesus Christ. And so we are Christ's church. The church of Christ possesses his name, possesses his doctrine. He is the one that deserves all preeminence. And I don't mean it like a formal name, but we have to be referred to as something so people will know who we are. We're his church. I don't want to be somebody else's church. I don't want my own church. I can't save myself. Neither can you. But Jesus can. Jesus did. I want to be, because the word church means the called out or the saved, I want to be part of the saved of Christ. You know why? Because there is no other saved group. The only way you can be saved is to be saved by Christ. Period. So I want to be called as part of the saved of or the church of Christ. For there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven amongst men by which we must be saved. We are unique because we believe and trust and accept and obey that worship, if it's going to be acceptable to God, must be done exactly according to the divine pattern. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John 4. Jesus himself, and you know, if we're gonna say I trust Jesus, then we gotta trust what Jesus said, because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If we truly trust Jesus, we can't say we trust Jesus and then say, well, I ain't gonna do that. Because if you do that, you don't really trust him. And so we trust and obey Jesus when Jesus said what he did in John 4, verses 23 and 4, he tells the woman at the well this. He says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, stop right there, the true worshipers. What does that indicate? It indicates that in some cases there are going to be false worshipers, does it not? The true worshipers, what will they do? They will worship the Father in spirit and truth. What does that mean? To worship God in spirit means to worship him with a proper spirit of reverence and adoration. That type of spirit that puts God, that puts Christ high above all men and all other people. It means to have a spirit that bows down in humble adoration and recognizes the reverence and the authority of Jesus Christ the Lord. And to worship him with that sort of spirit and to worship him in truth means to worship him truly, yes, sincerely, honestly, but it also means to worship him according to the truth because Jesus himself said in John 17, 17, God's word is truth. So if we're going to worship God with the proper attitude, the proper spirit and truth, we must do it according to exactly what the pattern says. Listen, Jesus did not only establish his church exactly the way he wanted it, but within that church he told us exactly what worship was supposed to look like exactly the way he wanted it. So what do we do? We follow the pattern that we have in the New Testament. Because if we don't, our worship is vain, <coughs> futile, empty, useless, and pointless, according to Jesus. Turn to me in your Bibles to Mark 7. We read this in the adult class this morning. 
But I want you to look at it again. These aren't my words. I didn't come up with this. Jesus did. Mark chapter 7, verse 5. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? It was a spiritual thing, and, and their elders had made these certain rules about how you had to wash your hands a certain way for spiritual purposes. Jesus answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They say they love me. They ain't willing to do what I told them to do. And in vain, there's our word, futile, useless, it's pointless. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. We can say we love Jesus all we want, but if we're not willing to worship the way God laid it down in the first century, if we're not willing to do that, but we're going to worship some other way other than the perfect way he said I, he wanted it done, brethren, I don't mean to be brutal, but we might as well stay home because our worship is vain. If I'm going to come and perform worship that God's going to say, I ain't taking that. That's not what I said. You don't love me enough to follow me. If that's the kind of worship I'm putting forth to God, vain worship, I might as well stay home and watch whatever. Because God still isn't receiving my worship. That's the point of Jesus' words. But look what he says a little later on. He says, verse 8, laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Verse 9, he said, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. How many people are gathered this morning in church buildings all over the world. God said, this is how I want it done. And they're saying, we're going to do it this way. That's scary. Because he said, that worship's vain. I'm not accepting it. I'm not accepting it. It's pointless. But we in the churches of Christ it's not about us. It's not, I'm not trying to puff us up this morning. We're no different than anybody else. We're human beings that need the grace of God, okay? It's not about us. It's about Jesus. But we believe and we trust him enough. And that's what makes us unique. I've heard people say, you know, those, <clears throat> or, or read reports somewhere, familiar with this phrase from the distant past, I feel really bad for those folks up at the Church of Christ. They can't even afford a piano. That's a poor church. You ever heard that? That's a poor church. Brethren, it ain't because we're poor. It's because we trust that when Jesus told us to sing, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, he told us in the New Testament the kind of worship he wanted. There are eight different times that music is mentioned for the New Testament church, and in all eight of them, it's always singing. Singing only speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, Ephesians 5.19. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, Colossians 3.16. I'm not down on I'm not trying to be judgmental here. I'm just telling you what God's word said, and if we trust God, we're going to give God what he asked for. That's what makes churches of Christ unique in today's religious landscape. The pattern of sound words, the blueprint for the Lord's church, the word of God that is forever firmly fixed in the heaven calls for us to sing. Now I've heard people say, well, you know, it says, you know, the word salo is in the Greek and salo used to mean playing and so it's okay if we play. Well, to begin with, God tells you exactly in this passage how he wants you to make melody. 
He doesn't say on an instrument. He says in your heart. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Think about this. Raise your hand if you are musically talented enough that you actually play an instrument. Raise your hand. Raise, nobody plays an instrument? This whole, yeah, I was going to say, there's a few. Listen, most of you don't. Here's the thing with that passage. If playing is included, it's not. But let's just assume for a minute, for the sake of argument, that playing an instrument were included in that Greek word solo as it's used here in this and all of that. And so it means, so when it says singing, it actually means playing. When it says making melody in your heart, it actually means making melody on a harp or a guitar drum. Let's assume it does for just a minute, for argument's sake. It don't. Let's assume it does. Whatever that verse contains, it commands for every member of the church. So. If that verse says that you've got to play, that means that every member of the church has to play because that verse is written to every member of the church. And if you don't play an instrument, you can't worship God. That's what it would mean. That's not what it says. We believe and take God at his word that we are only to sing because that's what God said. We believe and accept and trust and obey the faith only will not say any, save anybody because we believe the Bible instead. We believe what it says in James 2. Please turn there. I don't want to just cite all of these references. I want to turn to a couple of them because these sermons get posted on the internet. They can't see the PowerPoint. But we believe that faith only will not save anybody because of James chapter 2 verses 14 and following what does it say it says what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them depart in peace be warmed and filled but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead but someone will say, well, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. We believe that. We believe that. You know why? Because that's what God said. And that's enough. We trust and obey that once saved, always saved is not true because we believe that God knew what he was talking about when he had Paul write to the churches of Galatia what he did in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. Turn to that passage if you would like. It says, you have become estranged from Christ, you who be, attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Do not tell me we cannot fall from grace. You have fallen from grace. Who was that written to? It was written to brethren just like you and I in the Lord's church, the churches of Christ in the regions 
of Galatia or in the region of Galatia in the first century. We know and believe and trust that false prophets will lead many astray because we believe and accept that the Bible is true. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus Christ himself told us to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Jesus goes on in that very sermon just a few short verses later to talk about those who do all kinds of good things but they didn't do the will of God and so they're not saved. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23. He goes on in verses 24 through 27 to tell us that we've got to both hear the word and obey it. Not just hear it. We've got to hear it and do it. Otherwise we're like a man who built his house on the sand and we believe that. We in the churches of Christ are unique because, another reason, we believe that both repentance and baptism, not just saying a so-called prayer of faith, is the point at which one calls on the name of the Lord and is saved. You know why we believe that baptism is the point at which one calls on the name of the Lord and is saved? We don't believe one calls on the name of the Lord when they say a prayer of faith because that's not what the Bible says and we trust that God knew what he was talking about when he had the Bible written. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible is its own best dictionary. It is its own best reference. When God tells us how to call on his name, that's what we believe. We believe we call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't say, arise and say a prayer because your sins have been washed away. That's how you call it. That's not what it says. It says, arise and be baptized. You can look it up in your own Bible. It's Acts 22, 16. That's why it's there. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. That's how we call on the name of the Lord. We believe that, right, church? You know why we believe that? Because that's what God said. That's why we believe it. And we're unique. You can say, well, some churches, some, they're these small, yeah, but I'm talking about overall. These are all things that set us apart. We believe that one is saved when they're baptized. Oh, that's an odd thought in today's religious world. Yeah, that's part of what makes us unique. You know why we believe it? That's why we believe it. Because in 1 Peter 3.21, we believe every word of God is true. And it says baptism now saves you. We don't preach a prayer of faith for people to be saved because it's not found in the word anywhere that that's how people are saved. And you'll recall that God gave us all things that we need to stand perfect before him, right? We, we, we covered that earlier. Well, if he gave us everything we need and prayer isn't mentioned to be saved, then we don't believe it because we have what we need to be saved. In Hosea 4 and verse 6, it tells us that God's people be destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know... A person who is sincerely wrong, still wrong. The Apostle Paul. Was the Apostle Paul sincere prior to his conversion and serving God? Was he sincere? Oh yeah, he's willing to kill for his convictions. He's willing to go a lot further for his convictions. Some of us will. He's willing to travel to foreign cities. It's hard to get some Christians to go door knocking in their own town. He'd go to foreign cities and kill people. Bring them back in chains to Jerusalem. Force them to blaspheme, Acts 26, 9 through 11. Oh yeah, he was serious. He was wrong, he was sincerely wrong, but you know what? 
Still wrong. Truly these times, it says in Acts 17, 30 and 31, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Ignorance is no excuse. We can all get access to a Bible. Faithful churches of Christ believe, teach, and practice that the Bible is the eternal, inerrant and divinely inspired absolute truth of Almighty God. We believe that its every word comes straight from the very heart, mind, and soul of God. Therefore, we do not tamper with it. I know you've heard this before. This is kind of a wrap-up. We do not believe that it should be tampered or trifled with, nor edited, nor added to under any circumstances in any century by any person. We believe that God established his son's one New Testament church through his hand-picked apostles in the first century just exactly the way he wanted it. Exactly, listen. You get ready to build a new house. You're gonna have a house built just the way your dream house, the way you've always wanted it. You get the blueprints, you get the material, you know what you want for cupboards, you know what you want for cabinets, you know what you want for flooring, outside colors, everything, you got this thing down perfect. You're paying the price for it. <laughs> you can build it the way you want it, right? Somebody else shouldn't come along like a contractor and tell you, I'm not putting that color on the walls. I got my own favorite color. I'm going to paint it different than you want it. You paid for the house. Jesus Christ paid in blood for his church. And he said, this, New Testament, this is the blueprint. I don't want to be the one to stand up to Jesus and say, I think your idea was awful, I got a better one. You want to do that, that's up to you. I ain't doing it. I want no part of that argument. He established his church the way he wanted it in the first century and the Bible contains that divinely inspired pattern. For the rest of time, we believe that. For the rest of time, God's word is timeless. And we believe that the only way to truly be Christ's church is to follow that pattern without editing it or changing it. Because when we add or erase any part of the Bible, it's no longer the truth. There are some today that teach that he that believeth shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That you can't white out words from the Bible. Because if Jesus had wanted those words taken out, he never would have put them in. And he has all authority. And brethren, it is that that sets us apart. Because we believe the Bible is true, we believe that God has given us everything in it, we need to stand complete. And so we believe the safest thing to do, watch this now, in order to get into the heaven that is described in the word of God, is to follow the commandments found within the word of God and be a part of the church that is found in the word of God. Doesn't that make the most sense? If we want to get to the heaven that's in the scriptures, then we've got to follow the commandments that are in the scriptures and be a part of the same group that's in the scriptures. Doesn't that make sense? This is not rocket science. If it was, I wouldn't be teaching it. 
It's very simple. But we're unique because we believe that. We believe that to follow that one divinely given blueprint and not deviate from it is the only path to true unity in the religious world. Brethren, if only the entire religious world would say, you know what? I'm put away everything I've ever believed about religion and I'm just gonna follow the pattern God laid down. Wouldn't religion be a wonderful thing in this world? Can you imagine if every religious group in the, in the town of Pryor, in Shoto, every religious group in the state of Oklahoma was Church of Christ that was all on the same page with the Word of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, if that was the plan, John 17, but we are unique for believing it. God does not change, Malachi 3 and verse 6. Neither does his holy word, Psalm 119.89. Neither does his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13.8. Nor does his one New Testament church, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 1 Timothy 3.15. Ephesians 2.20. The churches of Christ, as seen in Scripture, from Acts 2 forward, were built solely on the firm foundation of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, just like Jesus said. That is who we are. And you know something? I don't want to be anything else, because anything else is a whole lot less. We are not here, another thing that makes us unique, we're not here to please men, we're here to please God. Galatians chapter one and verse 10. We take to heart, believe, trust, and obey that Jesus' sheep will truly listen to his voice, the words he said in scripture, and that those are the ones that he knows because they follow him, John 10 and verse 27. We believe that. We in the churches of Christ are unique because we're not here to please ourselves and have our own way, but to learn God's ways and to love and therefore please Him. That is our mission. That is our desire. Period. Faithful churches of Christ believe that God's plan of salvation is perfect, complete, and never fails. That perfect and divinely inspired 2,000 year old plan as seen in the scriptures, what God said it would take to be saved, is listed right there. We must hear the word of God, we must believe. Do you believe what you've heard this morning? That's the question you're gonna have a chance to answer in a few minutes. We must hear the word of God, you've heard it this morning. We must believe that word of God. We must trust it and take it to heart and trust that God knew what he was talking about, every last word. We need to be willing to confess that, you know what? Jesus is Lord and I'm gonna live for him. He has the preeminence. He has the right to call the shots in my life, not me. We must be willing to repent, to turn to God and to be baptized and to live faithful. There's no way that I can cover so many of these things fully this morning so the bigger question I want to leave you is, with is this morning, what do you believe? Really, no, not the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, standing, what do you believe? Remember what Jesus 
asked his disciples in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Well, some say Elijah, John the Baptist. Who do you say I am? That's the most important question you'll ever be. Who do you say I am? And we know Simon Peter answered. So forget the person beside you, behind you, in front of you. Who, what do you believe this morning? Do you believe that the Bible is true, that every word is straight from God? That it is the pattern and the blueprint? If you do, then why not become a member of that saved group we see right here in the scriptures? Why not become a member of Christ's one New Testament called out saved group of people known as his church that we see right in this very same scripture, Romans 16, 16. It's the same church we see right here that those first century saints were added to. Why not become part of that church? By repenting and being baptized. Because when you do, the Lord himself will add you to his church. If you believe the Bible contains everything you need to know from God, then you cannot, listen, you cannot risk your eternal soul. If you believe, if you claim to believe the Bible is everything God wants for you, that it's everything you need to know to stand perfect and complete before him the way it claims, then, then listen, that same Bible contains a plan and a process and a church that you've got to be a part of. You can't step outside of this word to be saved by some process not found in it, some plan that this Bible says, that ain't right. You can't. This morning, if you're here and you're a visitor and you've never become a member of the Lord's Church, you now know what you need to do. Maybe you say, wait a minute, I've heard so many other things, so many other churches, that's fine. Let's sit down and have a Bible study together. There's a lot of people in this room right here this morning that would study the Bible with you. Any of us would love to. The best gift that you can give to yourself is to learn and to obey the word of God. There's no salvation in anybody else but Jesus and in his words. If we don't study, Satan's going to lead us astray. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 2, he said to those disciples who had believed in him, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth is the word of God. It's the only place that you're going to find the plan and the process and the church and the group and the Savior himself that can take you to heaven. That's it. Jesus did his part. He died for you. Will you give your life to him this morning? You may have done some things that you say, wow, I've done some bad things. As the PowerPoint says, you can turn back time. You can't turn back time, but you can turn to God, and God can forgive you. Wants to. He died for that reason. What a great day it would be this morning if somebody here were to turn to God. Repent. Say, you know what? I'm going to do it your way, Lord. I'm yours. Wash me clean. And be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. You can do that. Because in the church, it was opened on the day of Pentecost, the one we see in the scriptures, that's exactly what people did, Acts 2, 37 through 41. They repented, they were baptized, they were saved. In Acts 2, 47, at that point, God added them to his saved group. Are you part of that saved group? If not, we invite you to either have a Bible class with us, let it be known, come to the front as we stand and sing if you would be baptized into Christ this morning. Please become part of that church as we stand and sing.